Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Chewing the Gristle, a podcast of doom and destruction. I'm your host, Greg Cock, Gregory Cockery, or the Gristle Man, if you will. We're going to have extemporaneous conversations with a variety of very powerful musical friends. We're going to converse about life, liberty, and the pursuit of musical savagery. Is that wrong? I don't think so. So tune in. Brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of beautiful Louisville, Colorado. Fishman Transducers of the majestic and powerful community known as Andover, Massachusetts. Can you dig it? In this installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cock, we have someone I've looked up to since I was a wee laddie. Kind of a funny story. I was on social media and I saw Robbie McIntosh. Not the Robbie McIntosh, so I added him as a friend. And next thing you know, we started a nice conversation with the messenger. And I was like, oh my God, this is the Robbie McIntosh. And he even knows who I am. So I was absolutely flabbergasted. So I thought, well, what the heck? As long as we're talking online, let's talk for reals. So I got a hold of him and I said, hey, let's do an installment of Chewing the Damn Gristle. And he said, I'm on board. So ladies and gentlemen, you've heard him with the Pretenders, Paul McCartney. He's played with everyone and their brother, a magnificent guitar player, Robbie McIntosh, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm very excited. We got the mighty Robbie McIntosh here today. And uh, I should also mention that if I'm looking off to the side here, it's not like I'm tuning out. It's just that I can see you on this computer screen over here. But if I have to look into the camera, I got to look into this. So it's a little bit of a conundrum of which I I will figure out at some point, Robbie. But for now, if you see me turning off to the side, it's not that I'm disinterested. It's that I'm watching you. Don't worry about it. I fully understand. Yeah, I get it. Because I'm just on the one thing here. So, um, you know, I haven't got a, um, I don't have the wherewithal to connect a, a camera to my laptop, uh, in which case I would probably be in the same situation. So I'm just on my iPad. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a good way to do it, too. You know, with, yeah. this whole, with this whole lockdown situation, I've had to uh, go kind of kicking and screaming into more of a high-tech world. You know, I got this mic and this, this kind of donut-shaped light thing here that, Makes me look like some kind of. Uh, but your uh, stuff when you do your when you do your your um, you and your son Dylan when you play yes. live. I mean the sound is great. So what 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 are you using to? Um, was a trade secret to? Well, no, no, no. It, actually, what we we've been learning on the fly when we first initially did them, it was just on an iPad, and then. Yeah. Um, we ended up getting um, Dylan bought some mics for his drum set, and he bought a um, a Scarlett Focusrite interface, and he bought a new computer. And so we mic'd up all of his stuff. We mic'd up my stuff, and then when, when I do the uh, the Fishman live feeds, my buddy Ryan, who's actually out in Boston, gets on our computer and mixes us from afar. So we're we're going from uh, the Focusrite into Logic. And then that into OBS, which goes live. And then uh, there's a, a service called Restream, which allows us to go to all the different platforms, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, whatever, all at the same time. Right, and, yeah. Uh, so that's well, it sounds, going well, it on. sounds fantastic. And oh, I'm well, thank very you. Envious, but, but of course, I, can't, I you know, I don't have technically, I don't really have the wherewithal. One of my son 
who works in a recording studio would have, but of course he's up in London. Ah. I can't get home. So right. um, he works for Mark Knopfler, actually. He, my, my, oh. The older of my two boys, he works at Mark's studio in London, British Grove Studios. That's, that's a beautiful-looking place. I've seen pictures of it online. It, look, it looks it's, like It's dips. amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it is state-of-the-art, you know, um, 7.1, because they do a lot of film mixing there, which he's involved in a lot of orchestral stuff and... Um, so he's kind of at the top end of that of that part of the business, you know. But he he understands all that stuff, and I don't. Yes. And obviously, he was here sometimes. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm ridiculously low tech. Although we just got to deal with uh, Tascam, so we've got this new Model Twenty Four and Model Twelve. So after we get done today. Uh, a couple hours from now, there's going to be a, a call and they're going to get Dylan and I up to snuff on using this stuff so I can actually start doing some tracking from home. So Great. He's a the good learning drummer, curve right? is being pushed. <laughs> he's an excellent drummer. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's really good. You can tell him that from me. And, uh, I, I will with absolutely some, I'll play do with that. Some good ones. I've played with some good ones. So. You certainly I mean, have. My, all, all my kids um, play. My youngest, who's actually here at the moment, is a piano player. Oh, okay. He's kind of classic uh, jazz, classical. You know, he did four years at music college. Um, he's twenty. He's twenty six now. Actually, how many kids do you have? Four. You and me both. Yeah. Two boys, two my, girls. Well, my eldest daughter is a teacher. She doesn't. She doesn't play anything, but she's got a good taste. And then the next daughter. Down from her is a really good bass player, but she's she, she plays in a couple of bands, but of course they're not playing anywhere at the moment, so she's just doing her day job from home. And then Rowan, who's the one in London, works works as an engineer. He he's a good guitar player. He's a better guitar player than he would let on. He can finger pick really well. You know, he's not like a blues screamer. Um, I, mean, I guess he's a bit of a jack of all trades like me, but he, you know, he's playing some great finger picking stuff. He can play all, he learns stuff that I've written, finger picking style, and he can play the entertainer by oh yeah, God Joplin, which I struggle, and he, you know, he's good, but he spends a lot of his time engineering and um, and doing that stuff. So yeah, we've got four, two of each. Yes, and, and same here. The like balance, as I like to say, the balance of power has been secured. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The boys are the bookends for me, and then the girls are in between. But and they're all home right now because of, you know, obviously the uh, the COVID situation. So all, yeah. I've got all four kids home, and my wife's working upstairs. So my my wife and my oldest daughter work upstairs in the attic, and then Dylan's downstairs. Of course, now he's out of the house doing something, and then I've got uh, another daughter's doing school. Uh, you know, summer school here at home, and then the other ones doing summer school. It's crazy. It's a madhouse, but yeah. you know, it, it's good though. It's it's actually kind of fun having them all at home. You well, my, my eldest lives in London. She she's a teacher, and she's back at work now. But she teaches real tiny, you know, like three three to six year olds. Um, and she lives in London with her husband. She's thirty seven now. So. Oh, okay. You know, and then the next one down 35, and then there was a big gap, and then the boys are 20, uh, 28 tomorrow and um, 26. You know, I, I, I got to ask you this because 
<laughs> because I'm sure it's happened. And I just want to bask vicariously in the glory of it. Growing up and you've got four kids, you've obviously been in situations sporting things with the kids or, you know, school functions or something where you're surrounded by normies, people who aren't in the music business that look upon musicians as if we're profligate mutants from some foreign land, which of course yeah, right. we are. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but how awesome must it be when you're sitting around and, oh, you're in a band? Who do you play with? Well, that'd be Paul McCartney. I mean, how, how much, how awesome must that be? <laughs> <laughs> was well, that a depends, good feeling or not it depends it depends on who believes you you know and uh, actually that was you know that was some time ago right and um yeah yeah pretty good i mean it, it, it's always different you know because when i when i stopped playing with paul you know he kind of laid us off we, we didn't get fired oh. or anything but he laid us off in 94 you know after the um after the two big tours and you know live albums and um unplugged and all that sort of stuff and then he spent pretty much a year or so doing the beatles anthology stuff oh i got and then Lin and then linda got sick oh um, yeah so so um so it, it, was a, it was quite a long layoff and then and then of course he rejigged the band with uh with his american guys you know with with abe and Rusty and and those and they're, oh, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're so it's a bit it's been a long time you know a lot of people you know I don't like to um been a long time since I played with Paul McCartney you know I, I get a right. Christmas card from him every year but I haven't spoken to him I did one charity thing with him uh back in the late 90s for the for the Montserrat appeal oh yeah yeah but um you know, it's been, it's been, uh, I won't say 20 years ago today because it's even longer than that, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, my, my, I did see you with Paul McCartney. I saw you at Milwaukee County Stadium, but I was a fan of yours long before that because I was a, a huge Pretenders fan. Oh, really? And, uh, it was just, and so I, I went to high school. You know, I was born in 1966. So I'm a senior in high school and I, I kind of was, a boomer by default because I was the youngest of seven kids and I had a room with my brother who was, you know, 14 years old than I was. So I was into all kinds of different roots music, which literally, at least in my circles, no one my age was into any of that. It was pointy guitars. You know what I mean? It was either new wave or, or, or they were into rush or some kind of, you know, metal mutation, which, you know, is all well and good, but that's wasn't what I wasn't into. And, yeah. but I was a fan of the pretenders. And then when learning to crawl came out and you were playing on there and it was telly strats. And then there was like, Oh my God, he's got a 335 too. And I'd see some different things of you playing. And you, you were like my hero. Cause I was like here in the eighties, it's like everything is not roots oriented or any of that kind of stuff. And here comes this breath of fresh air. So I was a big fan from there on in. So well, I, I've always you. followed your career since then. And when, when well, I saw I, Paul I, McCartney I, and you were playing, I was like, Robbie McIntyre. <laughs> well, I took over from 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 James Huntington Scott, Jimmy, as I knew him. Um, so I, you know, I pretty big shoes to fill, and um, it was tough. You know, I got some bad reviews early on, but fools. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the British music press are notorious in those days, early eighties. So I wish Chrissy, you know, was was one of those acidic writers, really. We know when she was writing for the NME in the 70s, she kind of 
almost set the trend. Her and oh, I got you. And so, so in a way, I kind of expected it, you know. But um, funnily enough, you, you mentioned that when I joined the Pretenders, I had two guitars. Oh, I, t- I yeah, I had two guitars, and they're both in this room actually. But one of them is this one, which you probably recognise from, um, you know, middle of the road right. and two thousand miles and all that stuff. It's the heaviest. <laughs> it's the heaviest Fender Telecaster that was ever built. I bought it new. I actually had a Gibson um, before this, which got stolen outside a gig, and my grandfather in 1977 uh, lent me 200, 200 quid and I bought this this guitar. So it was awesome. brand new. So it's that swamp Yeah, You know those ones from the late mm-hmm. 70s? The basses are even heavier. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I've thought about trying to get it weight relieved, but um, I got Wilco Johnson to sign the back as well years ago. Nice. So, you know, Wilco Johnson from from um, Dr. Feelgood? No. The original guitar player in Dr. Feelgood? Uh, I, I'll have to check it out. I'm, the, do, I'm, do check him out because he's an original. He, he actually was very close to um, uh, buying the farm a few years ago, but he, he's, he had pancreatic cancer, but he oh, got man. over it. And um, I know Wilco pretty well. He's a lovely, lovely man. I and mean, he signed the back of this... Um, check him out. You'd love him. He's I a absolutely will. Telecaster through and through. Anyway, so, um, you know, like middle of the road. And um, when I first got together with Chrissy, it was, um, you know, she would just play the middle of the road was like, um, started like this. It's kind of style, you know. Right. It's actually the wrong key. So, um, that kind of thing. So, so I came up with. Glorious. And so on and so forth. So, you know, that's how that... I knew if you're a Pretenders fan, I thought I might have to play. You know, and the same with 2,000 Miles, which is... A, I don't know if you know that song. I'll know it when I hear it. Yeah. It's just a Christmas song. That was actually the... It was actually a hit over here. But um, I don't think it was released in America, as a single in America. I mean, so everything I did, all the early Pretender stuff was all done on that, on that Telecaster. Insane. And I ended up sound. doing like that. So I was just through, I threw a Princeton and I got my, I dug my board out just so I could, this is my workroom. I mean, it's, that's obviously your workroom. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've so my, my wife, my wife used to be on one half, and I was the other in the pre-COVID days. But then once we started doing all the live stuff, she's like, "I'm taking over the attic. You can have this room." I'm like, "Excellent!" So we've got. Uh, 
Well, I've got a drum kit as well, but it's set up down. I've got like a basement room at the back of the house. The house is built on a bit of a slope, so when you get to the back, there's enough room under the house for a kind of basement, and that was, uh, in times gone by, that was a that was a recording studio. I had a 16 track tape machine in there, oh. you know, and a big 24 and a 16 board, and I listened back to stuff I did on that, and it sounds so good compared I, to, compared to you know your Logic, and which is what I use now. I record a lot of stuff at home on Logic, and then I take it to um, the studio to do the drums. And because I can't, I can't really get a good drum sound. I haven't got enough mics. I haven't got a big enough room, and you know. Sure. So, I mean, you probably get a good drum sound in there. Yeah, it's been, it's been really good in here, actually. We've uh, Dylan's been doing some tracking with uh, with his mics, and then of course because hardwood floors and the ceilings are you know relatively tall, it's uh, it sounds pretty good in here, which is good. Yeah, I need some drums on sort of my stuff for my next album. What with this health scare, I thought I'd hurry up and get the next album finished before oh. I. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's hopefully it doesn't come to that. But, um, well, you know, it's, I, I, I think about, you know, people in, you know, have various different careers where they might play with a couple big bands and might've done a couple of sessions, but your career is like, it's insane. The amount of people that you've played with. And well, I've been very lucky. I mean, I do have limited talent. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, compared to you, I mean, you're a pyrotechnic uh exciting you know great to watch i'm kind of more of a sideman and um i'm more of a parts guy you know i mean i'm not you know i love i love playing you know i've got a couple of blues bands that i play with and when i play with my own band i kind of stretch out solo wise but um i'm more uh i kind of see myself more as a sort of a parts guy you know with, with when i played with john with John Mayer, right? I had to do a lot of the a lot of the stuff that he had done on the record, but couldn't play live. Um, well, that's one of the things that's interesting is that you know, of course, everyone you know is interested. And in, what do you think about this guy? And what do you think about that guy? I always say I think the parts on John Mayer's records he he comes up with really good parts for his stuff, and yeah. so I would imagine that was kind of fun playing all those parts. Am I right? Yeah, it was. It was. He does come up with great parts. I mean, there's there's certain things I didn't have to play, but I have, I had learnt in, you know, that that one I kind of probably won't be able to play now. But that you know, something like Neon, you know, that track, mm. that thing he does with his thumb, and it's, it's insane. I mean, he is really an excellent guitar player. You know, the, the highest order that guy. You know, and. Um, I didn't really know much about him. I played with Nora Jones before that, and of course their stars took the ascendancy around about the same time in the states, right? Right. And um, to the point where they, uh, when they did the Grammys together, they did a, they did like a, a segue from her to him kind of thing. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah. I didn't know at the time. I never watched the gra- anything like that, but. I only saw it afterwards when I became more aware of Nora's stuff and John's stuff. They, yeah, and they couldn't be more different. You know, Nora's a, certainly liked to hide her 
light under a bushel, as we say, whereas John is kind of very much in control of his um, of his work and his career, you know. Right. And an awesome musician, though, and a really, really nice guy. I saw you with him at the uh, the Clapton Crossroads Festival in Chicago. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the co- uh, the Cotton Bowl or something? Is that what it's oh, called? Oh, uh, well, the, the Cotton Bowl one was in... Uh, That's in Texas, is right. Um, in Texas, right. This was the one yeah. in... Uh, uh, it was... One of Soldiers, not Soldiers Field or something like that, no. It was one... Uh, you know what, I can't remember. I can't remember. My brain is... Yeah, well, I was there, yeah. Jeff Beck was there, of course. And, yes, uh, the Baxter. And one of my favorite guitar players, who probably nobody's heard of, was there David Hidalgo from... Um, oh, yeah, from absolutely, Los from Los Lobos, absolutely. He's one of my favorites. I, I was lucky enough to play with the Pretenders back in the 80s at Montreux, and we were on the same bill as Los Lobos in those really early days before they started working with with um, Mitchell Froome and Chad Blake. And they, I think they had... How Will the Wolf Survive? You know, yeah, that was a great record. I played the well, hell out of that. They were more kind of Tex-Mex before they went into that kind of slightly more uh, abstracted kind of area that they went into later on. But we had a jam, me, him, and Caesar backstage. And, um, of course, I talked to him about it. I don't think he remembered it. <laughs> but he's one of my favorite, one of my favorite players, that guy. The yeah. tone he gets. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, it's pure Peter Green Yes. And he can play the accordion and he can play the fiddle and he's got, he sings like Steve Winwood. You know, I mean, the guy right. is amazing, you know. Absolutely. So uh, I've digressed quite, I can't even remember what we were talking about. No, that's oh, all right. This, this, this is all good. <laughs> Jeff Beck was there, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he was awesome as usual. Yeah, my... Uh, my son, Dylan, at the time was, I, I think he was 12, and he's like, uh, and of course, we're up in Milwaukee, which is only about an hour and a half away from where that was being held, and, and he's like, Dad, can't you pull some of your Fender connections and get us into that that show? I'm like, oh, let me see what I can do. So I called, and sure enough, we went down there and and uh, weaseled in, and it was glorious. My <laughs> This is a non sequitur, but it's a funny story. So a buddy of mine from town here, uh uh, you know, Hubert Sumlin lived in Milwaukee for his last, you know, yep. good yeah, big, years. I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Howling Wolf's nephew, right? Uh, I believe so. And yeah. so he, he lived up here and uh, I got to know him a bit. We did, you know, a couple of gigs here and there, but there was a, a great guitar player from town here who was really tight with Hubert and kind of him and his family kind of watched over him and stuff. And so at that event, um, he was looking after Hubert. So he was kind of like roading for Hubert, made sure his guitar was all set. And so we're watching the show and we're off kind of up in the hinterland looking kind of down uh, to the side of the stage. And I see on the side of the stage, it's my buddy, Jeff Dagenhart from town here. Who's who's looking after Hubert. He's sitting right next to Eric Clapton and Bill Murray. And I'm looking, I'm like, there's 20,000 people here. I look up on stage, Jeff Dagenhart from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, sitting next to Eric Clapton and Bill Murray. So at the end of the show, uh, I see Jeff. I go, Jeff, you know, I'm watching the show and you're, you're sitting next to Clapton. I mean, did, did you talk to him? I mean, what did, did anything? He's like, well, it was kind of weird. You know, we're, uh, we're, you know, we're hanging out the whole time. I mean, every time I'm sitting there with Hubert, Clapton would come over and kind of sit down. So, you know, I, I felt comfortable enough that at some point where I'm sitting next to him on the side of the stage, 
I looked over and I said, Hey, Eric, do you mind if I grab a quick picture of you and I sitting here? And Eric goes, I got to go get a hot dog. And he gets up and he goes to the back of the stage. There's like a little hot dog stand at the back of the stage. And he makes himself a little hot dog and disappears. So I thought, there you go. Anytime you're in a situation where you don't want to get a picture taken, you just say, I want to go get a hot dog. And magically, a a stand will manifest. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. But what are you going to do? But you didn't get the picture. He didn't get the picture, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? No, These things happen. But every time I think of that Crosswords Festival, Crosswords, Crossroads Festival, one of the things I think about is I got to go get a hot dog. Just one of those stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're making me hungry. Like, I, uh, I, uh, I remember meeting a few. I remember that gig. Johnny Winters. Johnny yes. Winters was on that gig. Yes, yes. Um, and of course, he sat down because he was he was pretty frail, I think, at that time. I didn't get to meet him, but a friend of mine was playing drums in his band at that time, uh-huh. and he was there, but he didn't get to play because I think Johnny Winter just sat in with Derek Trucks. As far as yeah, I Derek Trucks came out. I think they did "Dust My Broom" or something like that, and then they actually recorded yeah. it. Yeah, but uh-huh. I also met. I tell you, who I did meet there, who's been a big fan. I've been a big fan of for a long time, although I don't. There's a slight crossover because I've got a dog row, but I met Jerry Douglas there. Oh, yeah, yeah. The most charming, lovely, you know, we had quite a few mutual friends in, in Nashville, people that he'd worked with, you know, like Alison Brown and um, um, uh, um, name's gone. Um, I think it was naming to me. So, but I got a chat with him, you know, which, which is great because he'd just gone back to using beard. Dobros after right. having some kind of weird thing with Gibson that didn't work out. But um, I got my Dobro here. The one I did. Have you ever seen me play with John Mayer at the, at the song called Daughters? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, I did. That's um, there's something that got a lot of hits on on YouTube. But I've got a. Um, I've got this, uh, you know, which is a spider bridge, proper spider bridge. It's not a Dobro. It's made by a guy in France who's got a company called Fine Resophonic. And, um, you know... And it's a beautiful thing. I, I, I I have to say... Because I've got, are you? Have you got any resonator guitars? I mean, you know the. I, I've had various. Well, I I actually got a, one of the new Nationals uh, last summer. Uh, after I, I've had a, I had a Dobro and I got rid of it, and then I just had this cheap little Gretsch that sounded great, and I used that on a bunch of records. And then I was traveling someplace, and I played one of the new Nationals. It was a Duolian, and it was blue. And so, between sounding great and being blue, I had to have it. So yeah. Yeah, I like some of that. I like. I'd like to get an old. I used to have an old Duolian yeah. because I, I I really noticed the difference between something like this, which has got the spider bridge, right? So the resonator is like a speaker. The, the, the deep parts in the middle, right? And as you know, with spider bridges, the the sound is spread from. The, you can see these things inside here. It's spread right. across to the outside of the cone. So you get a much more. Oh, yeah. 
But then I've got this, um, the same guy made me this, which is, this is the more common biscuit bridge. So the resonators yeah, gotcha. around the other way, you know, made. Ready out. <laughs> Very so different, you know, when you get yeah. into when you get into these things. I mean I'd love an old uh Dobro with a spider bridge. The spider bridges are kind of um, they're kind of harder to harder to find a good one. But um, glorious though. I mean, basically all all country Dobros, you know, with the with the square necks. Right. People like Jerry Douglas, they all you have a spider bridge, whereas you 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 know Sun House and uh, Bucker White. Right. Um, uh, fans would have, you know, something with a with the biscuit bridge. So but uh, they're very different. It's it's amazing how how people don't don't know about that 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 difference. You know, sure that nuanced difference between them. Yeah, it's very and they're very different. Very very different sound. You know, much more much more sustain out of a spider bridge than out of a biscuit. But it had a totally different sound as well. So I've gone completely off track again. So that's what all right. No, this is all this is all gold. I dig it all. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Cock Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Well, I was going to ask you about, you know, growing up in the, in the UK. Uh, first of all, where are you, you're down South now by the ocean or by the, by the sea? Yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in South London. Okay. Um, and got married in South London around about age 24, something like that. Okay. And then within a year, we've moved down to the south coast. We're, we're kind of, if you if you go southeast from London, uh, sorry, southwest from London, okay. about about 120 miles, you come to a place which if, if you asked, if you, got, you guessed, you're about halfway along the south coast of the UK. Okay. We're, in a place called, we're just outside a place called Weymouth. Okay. Which is... Um, the only big town that you may have heard of near us is Bournemouth, which is about 20, 20 25 miles east of us. Okay. So we're in Dorset, which is um, a very rural county. Um, and, um, yeah, we've been down here for oh, 30 uh, 35 years now. We moved down. So all the kids, my my two the two daughters were actually born in you know when we lived up in London, but they they were pretty young when we moved down here. So um, and when we moved down here, I was playing with the Pretenders. So I 
I, you know, I only really had to be either in the in, a, in the studio or rehearsing or on tour. So it didn't really matter that I didn't live in London, you know. So we uh, we made the move. Yep. And, uh, so in, in growing up, so you're you're from Surrey, right? In the Surrey areas, so that's where like all the yeah. I mean, it's it's the north part of Surrey. I mean, where I I went to school in in Greater London, what they okay. call Greater London, even though postally it's in Surrey. I guess it's like you know if you if you you know you went to school in Manhattan and you lived in Queens or something, you know I, what I mean? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. You know. So what kind of stuff were you listening to when you were, I mean, you started playing guitar when you were like 10 or something like that, wasn't it? Somewhere in that neck of the wood? Pretty young. Pretty young, yeah. Um, well, the Beatles, um, the Beatles and then various finger-picking stuff that my sisters were into, like Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen. and Okay. Um, and then, you know, I taught myself to play for, for a fair bit. And then when I was about 13 years old, my mum thought, well, you should have lessons. So she sent me to a classical guitar teacher. Oh, okay. And, you know, that has, um, I mean, it certainly benefited, benefited my playing in a, certain, in a certain way with, you know, my left hand and my finger-picking hand and stuff. But then, you know, it's very regimented, um, so I wish I'd listened to a little bit more, a little bit more jazz, maybe when I was when I was growing up. I don't have a, I don't have a great, um, a great knowledge. Or I mean, as much as I love listening to jazz, you know, sure. it's just still sometimes can be a bit of a mystery. So that's why I'm. That's what I was saying earlier. I'm more of a kind of parts guy. Um, I can stretch out on blues and I can bluff my way through the old jazz change, but I'm not really a, um, and somebody I'd love, you know, one player that I, you know, I'd love to be more than anybody is John Schofield. Oh yeah. Just because of his, just not because of his knowledge, which is, which is vast, but just his attitude is, you know, he's got a, like a, he's got like a rock attitude, but with all that jazz, stuff behind him you know what i mean absolutely, I absolutely I'm, a huge Schof- I'm a big schofield fan so yes. i absolutely adore his playing you know and i'm well as much as i love pat Metheny and um you know george benson who's george benson's kind of a link to me to back to the past you know he's sure. probably one of the only living players who's you could kind of link back to wes montgomery or someone like that right or with joe pass or but um schofield's just got you know i mean he just blows me away I don't know him I've, I've never met him and I've never seen him live but I just listened to his stuff in the car I just John Schofield all the time pretty much <laughs> yeah, yeah it's interesting my my first Schofield records I had uh were again in the in the 80s the Blue Matter and Loud Jazz those I Loud were Jazz like- I've got yeah I just loved them. And then, uh, yeah. and then there was that, um, there was a live record from that same period of time that I had. And then of course, all the stuff later on, I mean, it's, it, it, well, yeah, exactly. Uber jams. Another going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uber jam and up all night are the two that I, that I, that I have them in the car all the time. I love that band, you know, with Avi Northnick, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and, um, I can't, and, um, Adam Dietz, is it the drummer? 
I, I think so. I actually saw that that tour. They played at a club in town here, and great ideas, awesome. eurythmic ideas, and you know, like the, some of the stuff that sampled stuff that they bring in, and yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I'm I'm a big big fan of Schofield, but um, I mean, he he wasn't he wasn't an early influence. So um, you know, the Beatles were an early influence. Right. Um, and then I kind of got hooked into the mid-teens. I got my sister had an old um, Lightning Hopkins record, right? Which I fell in love with, you know. And then I, as I as I met guys that I worked with later on, I got I kind of got more into electric blues. So Freddie King was a big a big influence early on. BB King, Albert King, um, Otis Rush, yeah. You know all that stuff, and then, all my faves. <laughs> well, then I got into then I got into listening to Larry Carlton through through the Crusaders, right? Joni Mitchell and Stevie Dan. Yeah. You know, I loved all those records, and it just so happened that Larry Carlton played on all of them. Right, played with all of them. Um, you know, may, you know, mainly um, obviously the the uh, the the Crusaders, you know, I, I think I learned every guitar part on Chain Reaction, <laughs> and every guitar part on um, on those Southern Nights, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you know, then that kind of branches out into you know, I love Robin Ford. Sure. I've, met, I've seen Robin play a couple of times, and I kind of know him. He's still one of my favourites. Yep. Um, and then I, I had a big but because I'm one of my my older sister, I got I got I really got into Little Feet quite early right. on, the early seventies. You know, Sailing Shoes, yeah. Dixie Chicken, mm -hmm. her last record album, and from that I kind of I I kind of got into Rikuda, which is I I don't know whether that would be you'd think that was the right way around, but I kind of and I got I really got big into Rikuda. Sure. <laughs> From probably just pre Boxley drop, because um, I still think, as much as I love Boxley drop, I think you know I'd still prefer some of the other albums, you know, sure. Paradise and Lunch, um, Into the Purple Valley, you know, the earlier, the first album of his. So and you know and I, the first so I, kind of um, early seventies. Probably he was already dead yeah, by then, but I got into Hendrix in a big right. way. I'm sure you, you know, yeah. the first thing I listened to on a pair of headphones was the first record I listened to on a pair of headphones because a friend of my sister's had a pair of headphones. I'd never put a pair of headphones. Um, was Electric Ladyland. Yes. You know, and it's like... Right. You know, what's going on? <laughs> so, um, so you know, a lot and lot of influences. You know, and from very, I remember the first going back even further before, probably around about the same time, I listened to my to the Beatles records. A friend of my dad had Chet Atkins records that I that I love. Right. So I kind of got I, not that I'm a a, a Chet Atkins aficionado. I can play a, you know. I can sure. do a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, uh, and actually, you know, Chad Atkins, funnily enough, as it turns out, his style was was quite classical. 
Do you, do you not agree? You know, yeah. so yeah, yeah, absolutely. very, very precise. You know, very different to somebody like Jerry Reed, who's more of a right. um, and, was, and not as not quite as uh, as body as 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 uh, Merle Travis. Merle Travis had more of that. You know, uh, it was it's a little greasier. Right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And so did you, and so did. Um, did you see that thing I shared on the other day of um, Jerry Reed and BB King? Yeah, I've seen that. That's great. Yeah, well, the way he starts that off, I mean, that's as about as greasy as you can get. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. No, I agree. I mean, Jackson's is very precise. Everything you hear, every single note is beautifully played, but his right. but his style was very very precise, like a classical guitar player. Yeah. You know. I think. Well, I like I like that quote of Chats where he's like, um, uh, "If I skip a day of practicing, I can notice it. If I skip two days of practicing, my friends notice it. And if I skip three days, everyone can." <laughs> because those songs yeah. are so precise. I mean, there's yeah. they they need to be ceaselessly calibrated. You know, I know a few of those Chet things and uh, various different renditions of this, that, and the next thing. And and people ask, "Well, what do you practice?" Well, if I want to keep those things anywhere near a performance level, you, you got to go through them because it's, um, you know, as you well know, it's a, uh, uh, it is definitely yeah. a precise operation. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're doing it live, the concentration level is is uh, quite intense, which I yeah. I struggle with to a certain extent, you know. But um, um, but that's you know. That's the way it is. So, so there's a hell of a lot of influences, you know. I, I mean, I, you know, I've mentioned Ry Cuda and Jimi right. Hendrix and Freddie King and BB King and Albert King. You've literally listed all of my favorite things. <laughs> well, I could I could go on, you know. I mean, there's and I'm and I'm sure we we hit the same. You know, I love listening to to the old. Um, Bob Wills and the Texas oh, Playboy yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, listen to to uh, Noel Boggs and you know people like that playing. And then, you well, know, let me ask a, you this: was it was it weird? Uh, it was a different being from the UK that because we revere, you know, Clapton and Peter Green and Jeff Beck and you know and Jimmy Page and you know and then later you know Mark Knopfler and Albert Lee and all these different guys. Was it weird, different from the UK? Or just like, oh, those just those guys. I'd rather listen to the real thing. Or was there also the reverence for these guys as well? I, I'm sure you probably bumped shoulders with a lot of these guys just being around the scene. Am I right? Or how? Yeah, how I mean, I, I, I played with Eric a few months ago, actually. But not that we're great friends or anything. And we played together a couple of times, um, but never really hooked up. I did this big. We did this big um, gig for a cancer charity at the beginning of March. Okay. And uh, and I was in the house band, so and I played with everybody. You know, I played with, you know, I did some of the stuff I played with with John Ilsley anyway, which is Dark right. Straits. Um, I played with Eric and played with um, um, Paul Young. Did it? Tom Jones. I was in Tom's band for a while. So right, but that was pretty. But um, um, I can't remember where we. Started. I was going to yeah. say, how, how were they as influences? Well, Eric Clapton was a huge influence. I mean, the first, the, probably you know, from the from Disraeli Gears and um, right. and from the first Blind Faith album, the only Blind Faith album, right? Um, the first, you know, that Blind Faith album 
Hatch of Cry Today and, um, you know, which is, I think, the opening track. And, uh, you know, I just jam, I used to jam along to that. Right. When I was at home, you know, I had a little back room that my mum and dad sort of gave me. It was a very small room with my record player and um, didn't have a stereo, actually. We didn't get a stereo until I was about 17. I had a record player, which I could, luckily, I could... I could put down if you put a, if you put a, uh, a, a long player on, you could put it down to sixteen. Ah, and so you could you could learn a lick at half speed, an octave down, obviously, right? At half speed, so that was actually quite useful. So I think I was quite lucky in that respect. <laughs> but I used to jam along to that, and then later on, I used to jam along to. Uh, you know the as I said the Crusaders and right. you know I learned the solo in um, in uh, the solo on Kid Charlemagne yep, absolutely note for note when I was about I don't know when was that seventy four seventy five yeah so I would have been seventeen eighteen you know so um, and Frank you know listen to Frank Zappa I mean, oh, yeah. Zappa's I'm still a big Zappa fan. Same I here. can't. I couldn't even begin to play the guitar like Frank Zappa did. But you know, some of those lines that he would come up with, right, in his solos, you know, like the solo in Inca Roads, I still think is one of the greatest guitar solos ever. Yes. You know? yeah. yeah. Fucking amazing. You know, well, that whole when era. Went, but that was my when favorite. When he went era. diddly diddly, I can't do yeah. it. But, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that out of phasey thing he would do. He'd get those kind of like pinch harmonic y things like he would do that, that sounded awesome on that SG. Like uh, Live at the Roxy and Elsewhere is one of my all time favorites. And Oh, me too. That, yeah. Have you seen the have you seen the the uh the video stuff from that? Oh, yeah. You know, the, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind well, of funny. Where, you can see well you can see from that where he's done the edits for the record. Because there's right. a version of I think the version of um, on the film, the version of Penguin in Bondage right. has a different. So- it's the same track, but he's right. edited in a different solo with that with that Mutron biphase and maybe with the wah wah or something. That's one hell of a sound. I don't know how. Yeah. I know he used a biphase and a wah wah, but <laughs> I think he's using both on that. Right. Right. Awesome. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I saw Zappa twice actually. I saw oh, him man. with the I saw him with the Zootaloo's band, so there was a five piece with Terry okay. Gozio. Yeah, and then I saw him with the um, the uh, uh, Shake Your Booty band. So there's okay. about nine yep. of them. Yeah, with Adrian Ballou, right? Patrick O'Han, uh, different drummer. I think maybe Chad Wackerman. That or, could be, yeah. Drums. Yeah. Yeah, I only saw him. Oh, once. I saw him in in 1984. He played. <laughs> he played at the Wisconsin State Fair of all places, and oh, let's, really? let's just say he was having fun with farm animal uh, type of uh, illusions and things of this, right. <laughs> and illusions to cheese and things you can do with cheese. So it was, uh, it was quite amusing. <laughs> he was great, wasn't he? He was pretty amazing, that guy. Absolutely. I, I was thinking there, there's one note in that uh, 
that trouble every day live at the Roxy and Elsewhere. He bends the nose. It's like the, my single favorite note in the history of rock. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I a think, huge Zappa I think, fan. I, I think Roxy and Elsewhere is one of my, I think it's one of my favorite albums, actually. And I tell you, you've probably got it, but towards the end of that tour, the same band, he did a, a series of albums called you can't do that on stage anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the third, the I think the second one or the third one of that is called the Helsinki concert. The Helsinki concerts, and of course they put, it's the same band, but they play everything so much. They've been playing it on the whole tour. You know, with Pygmy Twilight and oh, yeah. and um, Cheapness, all that stuff. Yeah, they play it at breakneck speed, and it's absolutely. But he does, uh, he does whipping post on it as well. Oh, yes. Because some someone's like, play whipping post. Yeah, some guy, some hell sick, some Finnish guy keeps shouting whipping post out from the audience. Oh. So he he plays, um, and he, when he does uh, Montana, right. he goes, um, instead of saying, and take me to Montana where the, uh, where the down floss grows or something, he says, right. and tie me to the whipping posts and whip the goddamn shit out of me or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It's 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 funny though. Really uh, one funny. of my one of my favorite uh, parenting success stories is that all my my kids are Zappa fiends, especially my two yep. old ones. And uh, one me of the too. first concerts my son wanted to go to was uh, was Zappa plays Zappa. And oh, right. uh, and we went to the show, and they opened up with a kid in his arf, and we were just like, "Oh, this is the greatest thing ever!" It was was that that with Dweezil, right? Yep. And then Dweezil yeah. and I got to be uh, buddies, and I I sat in with them when they were in Minneapolis last year. We're talking about doing something at some point, so we'll, hopefully, when this pestilence is over, I'll be able to do something with Dweezil because that would be fun. How he does that like that? Is it that fast line in one of the? Is it St. Alfonso's or something like that? Um, St. Alfonso's. Yeah, but there's a long kind of instrumental section which he plays on guitar. Yes. Maybe with, maybe, I think maybe with the, Zappa's version with the marimba as well. Right, 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 right. But it's just insane. I mean, I don't know. I really don't. Yeah, those lines are, are, insane yeah absolutely amazing but um yeah it was uh, interesting when i saw them and they were they were playing and I, I it's just so weird with zapper where you can have you know a dozen records and consider yourself a fan you know what i mean and then you realize that ain't that ain't shit <laughs> he's got so many more on top of it and you hear these tunes you're like what is that song one of them when they were when they were playing they played uh sleep dirt and i had never heard Sleep dirt before, and I was like, "What is that awesome ballad with the weird changes?" Oh, that's Sleep Dirt. And I was like, "Well, next thing you know, I got that Sleep Dirt record, and it's one of my favorites. I'd never, I had no idea it even existed." So, it's yeah, I mean, I to be, there's so many things, you know, that cold son of Orange County theme. Da, ba, 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 do, boo, boo, boo. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh no, I don't believe. Don't believe it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know that all that's that stuff just kills me. You know that, and that's of course on. Um, I love that little orchestral bit. Um, what's the album I'm thinking of? Um, um, just another band from LA. Is that, I can't, can't remember. 
But there's snippets from um, from Lumpy Gravy, from the orchestral stuff from Lumpy Gravy. Oh, okay. They're just beautiful, you know. I mean, the guy was a guy was a genius, you know. He was indeed, and a workaholic. I think he just was working ceaselessly. Yeah, I think he smoked himself to death. Apparently, yes. Chain smoker. Yeah. Hey, what do you think of this? Oh, look at that. The Dan this Electric is my thing. favorite guitar at the moment. I'm completely changing the subject. That's these, all right. are Seymour, these are Seymour Duncan um, lipsticks. Nice. And I've got it. Um, I've got it wired so that you can. I don't like pull out things, but I'd rather have a switch. But if you pull that out, it brings that in, so you can have all three. I got you. Or back and forth. Or you can have those two. Yep. Which That's what I like one, scratch as well. The one yeah. combo you can't have on a on a five position switch. Yeah, and it's weird. It's, isn't it weird that the back and front on a Strat for some reason sounds more Gretchy than it does a Tele to me? It's, it has more of a kind of a Gretsch thing. And yeah, like, and all three, all three is actually slightly Gibsony in yeah. in a funny sort of way. Is this you know it's picking up all those you know that that sort of um, frequency thing. I'll tell you what I have got, which is. Um, I'm very lucky to have is I'll show you actually. You see that in the corner? Oh yes. Leslie. It's a one four it's a one four five Leslie cab. Nice. With that. Oh there you go. Yep, the preamp. Yep. Track preamp. And um, I'm a very lucky guy because I absolutely love it. You know, I love slow. The slow sound of Leslie sounds great. Yeah. What do you think of that? Oh, look at that. 48 Oahu. I got the pedal steel that goes with it as well. Nice. Um, not pedal steel, the lap steel. Well, well. Um, speaking of amps, what 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 has been kind of your go-to thing? I mean, have you changed stuff over the years, like from the Pretenders to all the other gigs, or have you had kind of a? Well, it's it's really funny because in the last couple of years, I've gone back to that as uh -huh. my go-to, and that is a twenty-watt Marshall PA twenty. Awesome. That thing there. Yep. There's a Princeton reverb underneath it, which I'm going through at the moment. Um, uh, but the Marshall 20, PO20, um, I've got two of them. Both are both original from 1968, 69. I, I can't really find anything better, to be quite honest. Right. So um, this is the... I'm, I'm sitting in the room with it. It sounds better, I'm sure, but um, 
Yeah, there's nothing like a real, I mean, the, of, of the devices, I've found that the the best one that I've used is, is like, is this thing made in Germany called the Neo Instruments Ventilator. It's got a pretty convincing slow. And I've tried the ventilator, good. yeah. Yeah, but, but, you can, but you can you can change the mic distances and exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a cool yeah. But nothing's like the there's nothing like the real air. Well, mode. I'm not gonna yeah, I'm not gonna start taking it down the pub. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> exactly. Playing a pub gig, but it's a great thing. I'd stick two mics on it. I've got a I've got a yeah, a Neumann eighty four and a a ribbon mic, and I just put them on the top. I just put them. On either side on the on the horn, right? I don't bother with the with the bottom. You, know, you should put three mics on them, really, but I, you know, I mean, you're not going to hear that bottom, and you're just going to go and get rid of it, you know. Right. I've gone on far too long. Yeah, that was my Leslie. So um, it's just a lucky. I'm just the great thing to have, you know. I like it. I like it all. Well, we've got about five minutes left here, Robbie. I was just going to ask you prior to the pestilence causing us all to kind of sequester ourselves and so on and so forth. Um, I was say, is, is it John Ilsley or Isley? How do you, how do you say his name? Ilsley. Ilsley. Now you've been yeah. digging with him for a fair bit now, right? A couple of years. Is that, is that one of your main road yeah, gigs on now, or they're different things? Well, it's some of it's, some of it's his stuff. And then some of it's a, a kind of a dire straits nod you know um, right. and he taught he does a Q&A so he does a bit of a talk about you know what was life life like back in Dice Straits when they were you know hitting it big and right. um, and um, yeah so I do that and um, you know he looks like he's it, a big fella is he like my size is he like six seven he looks tall he's about six foot two okay a little taller than me okay um, but he's a lovely guy and, you know, I don't mind doing the, you know, the, do, you know, doing the nod to Mark because I work with Mark as well, right. you know, on and off. I played on Mark's last album I and mean, you won't, you wouldn't be able to hear it. It's just some kind of rhythm stuff on a right. couple of tracks on the last album. And I do was helping Mark out with his, um, with his, uh, musical, um, the hero, you know, the the um, local hero. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so I still work with Mark, and when Mark does stuff, does promo in the UK, he, Richard Bennett is his, is his right. second guitar player, but he doesn't get Richard over just to do a bit of radio and TV and stuff. So I do it. So I'm kind of the, the sort of reserve guy, you know, and um, so yeah, I do the, the stuff with Mark. And uh, the stuff with John and um, a few sessions of Mark and bits and pieces at home. I did a big gig at the beginning of Mark just before they locked everything down for the for the Royal Marsden Cancer Hospital. Okay, yeah. I told you about that. I played with Van Morrison and Tom Jones and Eric Clapton and uh, Cat Stevens and... Paul Young and Bonnie Tyler and Paul Carrick. It was crazy. And it was just before the lockdown as well. Yeah, we were all stuck. We were all touching elbows instead of shaking right. hands. Right, right, right. It's just before that thing started. So that's kind of the last thing, apart from a few gigs with John Ilsley 
and we had to cancel the tour after after four dates. Right. That was the last thing I did. So I've done a couple of sessions for people at home, and I've I've got my album mixed and nearly mastered now. Uh, so that's the, the, that's the next thing to happen, you know. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing that, my friend. Yeah. Well, I look forward to, you know, it'd be great when all this all this um, humbuggery yes. is finished, you know, and you come over and do some gigs, I'll come up, I'll come up and see you, you know. Oh, that'd be yeah. awesome. I'd be, it'd be Without a blast. Without any doubt at all, you know. Well, we'd love, um, we have something set for, for late October, early November, but I have a hard time believing it's going to happen, but I will keep the, Yeah, past. well, this, this year, yeah, yeah I, I, I think it would be, you know, I hope that it comes off, but, you know, I think, I, I think they've, you know, certainly in this country and, and in your country, certainly sent, they've left it all a little bit too late. Right, and we're paying the we're paying the price, and we're going to have to, exactly. you know, be careful, right? Exactly. You know, it's a real it's a real shame. Yeah, it's a real it real shame. It is, you know, but we shall do what we can to prevail in any sort. But listen, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been an absolute blast. Great, actually, getting to talk to you. And thanks for uh, showing us some cool guitars and some of your great plan. And uh, just an absolute pleasure to get to know you. And I look well, forward to actually. Being I've, been fan, I've, I've been a fan of yours since before you, we hooked up on the internet. You know, it's watching you on, watching you doing your clinics and stuff, and you, you know, great player and a great entertainer and a great educator as well. So well, thank you very much. That means a lot. Pleasure, it's a real pleasure for me. You know, you do. You know, I can play a bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm in your, I'm in awe of you and what you do. Oh well, bless you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. All right, my friend. Thank you so Just much. Keep, Have a good one. We'll see you soon. We're going to run out of time here. Keep me posted on the technical stuff because I'd love to be able to make a better sound and get it across the internet at some point. Absolutely. Um, I'll keep you apprised. If you want to keep it a secret, then that's fine. No, no, I'll be glad great, to great. tell you. No problem. I'll keep you apprised. Lovely, Pierre. Take, take it easy. And look take it easy, Robbie. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you in the future. See Bye. you, man. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. <laughs> <laughs>